Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Happy 4th. It is good to be with you this morning as always. I'm going to dive right in just so that I've got the time to take care of what I believe would be for us this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and invite you in your Bibles to turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I believe this will be our last stay there for a little while. I've been there. We've been there for a few weeks now. Um, and I want to finish up with a message entitled, Waving Old Glory. Waving Old Glory. A story is told of Army Sergeant William Carney. He earned the Medal of Honor for protecting the battle flag during the Civil War. Carney wanted to pursue a career in the church, but when the Civil War broke out, he decided that the best way that he could serve God was by serving in the military. During the first major uh, combat mission in Charleston, South Carolina on July 18, 1863, the soldiers of Kearney's regiment led the charge on Fort Wagner during the battle. During that battle, the unit's color guard was shot. Kearney, who was just a few feet away, saw the dying man stumble. He scrambled to catch the falling flag. Despite suffering several serious gunshot wounds himself, Kearney kept the symbol held high as he crawled up the hill to the walls of, the Fort, of Fort Wagner, urging his fellow troops to follow him. He planted the flag in the sand at the base of the fort and held it upright until his near lifeless body was rescued. Carney lost a lot of blood and nearly lost his life, but not once did he allow the flag to touch the ground. His heroics inspired other soldiers that day. I cannot even claim to, to think of how many people have done things just like that. All across this globe, and, and I'm talking about just for the freedom that you and I enjoy. The amount of people that have charged on in the battle, but held up, whether they literally held it up with their hands, they may have figuratively held it up with their hearts. Just a banner of what they believe to be freedom. There have been many people fight for many things. But I believe that freedom, true freedom, is something that's worth fighting for. You and I as Christians, we have a responsibility. I've been praying about a lot of things lately concerning our country and concerning 
us as Christians and how all of this actually works together. You see, we've never been in a time like we're in right now. This is so out of the playbook for us. There are people who have been through things like we're going through, although they went through it on other continents. That's one reason that they came here, was to escape some of the things that we possibly may be facing. But in all of it, I sit here and wonder, where is God in the midst of it? You know, where, where do we as Christians fit there? And there's one place that I know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, a place that we belong. And that is in the battle for truth. We belong in the battle for truth. As a matter of fact, we are the greatest agents on the face of this planet for truth. And you see, people wonder, how does all of that work out with politics and with all of the things? How does that actually work out? Well, understand this. You can't have a civilized society. You can't have order when the world is in chaos without truth. Somebody has to be right besides us. And for Christians, if there's anything I want you to understand as we, I lead in today... You and I are not right. God's right. We're just agreeing with Him. When we say amen, it just means that we are agreeing. So be it, God. You and I don't have any right in us other than Him. That's why He gave us His Word. And I think you and I have a responsibility to wave old glory. But I'm not talking about the stars and stripes. Why don't you listen to a few verses for just a moment in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 26. And if you would stand with me for just a moment as we read his word. If you have a copy by electronic device or held in your hands with a physical written copy, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Verse 20 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you gave me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, would you please take your word today? <clears throat> Allow truth to be honored in the name of Jesus. Amen. You be seated. <clears throat> I 
I will get you all of your blanks filled in today, but I'm going to take some pastoral privilege on the second half of this thing to preach outside of my notes just a little bit. Did you know that in our lives, the glory that's been given to us as Christians should be displayed by us now? And when I say now, I mean now. I think about the glory of God, and I, my, my mind's eye goes immediately to Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, he says, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each having six wings, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's said that that train uh, of his robe, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but just want to reiterate it. It, it, was a, uh, it was a symbol of the glory of God. That's why it filled the temple. That His glory, wherever He is manifested, He is going to be overtaking the environment. So if we give God the glory in here today, we will decrease, as you've heard people say, and He increases. Many brides have those long trains so that their glory might be seen. But nobody has ever manifested the glory in the temple like He has and like He does today. Jesus Christ seated on the very throne at this moment. His glory shines and we go, but I can't see His glory like you talk about out of the Scriptures. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. We live in a sin-cursed world. Yes, if you're saved today, you have rights to everything that there is that the Son has rights to. But understand that we live in a land or a world where our eyes are tarnished as we look at it. We see through a glass dimly, the Bible says. Let me give you a few scriptures to think about. John 17, 5, if we look back to it, it says, And, oh, and, and now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The glory that I'm talking about here, it doesn't grow stale, but it's been around a long, long time. As a matter of fact, God was in the battle for truth before America was ever formed. And that's something to hold on to. You and I might fight for truth today, but we have not been fighting for truth outside of the lifetime that we've been given. And that lifetime we have is a very short one. And that's why I say that Christians, if there's ever been a time that you and I are to be upholding the banner of truth for the glory of God, it's today. Everywhere you are in your life today, you can find challenges was talking about the fact that you're going to be hated because of him. Not by your, probably by your church folks, I'll get to that in a moment, that you shouldn't hate each other. And maybe not by your immediate family, although that I've come to find out that many times when you start living for the Lord, 
Even your family sometimes will not approve of you. But I'm talking about the lost world. That was a world that we were a part of. Now we're not a part of it, the Bible says in John 17. They're not of this world. Father, just as I'm not of this world, that you would keep them from harm's way, from the evil one, that you would sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth, that you would uphold them, God, keep them safe. That you and I today, if we go out here, I had a, someone tell me, said, oh, preacher, don't you worry, people hate you. But did you know that they hate you too? Although you might not look, you might look around you and you go, well, I don't really have anybody around me that dislikes me. You need to get out more. <laughs> Amen. And see, that's our challenge, is it not? That we are not to take this little light and hide it up under a bushel, but we are to set it up on a hill and let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And I'll let my light shine until Jesus comes, right? It's easy to sing it as a kid in Bible school, but it's a whole different story to live it out, ain't it? But we ought to let our light shine. 2 Corinthians 3, 11 through 18 reads like this, For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are... We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts, talking about the Jews. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, <clears throat> beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does all that mean? It means that for a time that you and I can only display what glory God is giving us. And when we draw close to Him, He draws close to us. Y'all ever had a moment when you were just like, it was almost like you were in the presence of heaven itself. And then something has to happen. A phone rings. Just as a little cue here, it's kind of like at a, very special moment in services and somebody's phone goes off. And you go, man, why did that have to happen? It's almost like that's our life, isn't it? We get glimpses of the glory of God. We have moments when we seem to be in His presence, but then something happens. As a matter of fact, I have watched myself in church meetings when the glory of God would just show up in the room and folks would just become unencumbered, unhindered by all the things until somebody goes, we got to get home. We got to get the kids in the bed. Homework's got to be done. 
Tomorrow work starts over again. Did Honey, did you pay the power bill? Honey, did you, did you remember to take the trash out? And it seems like the cares of this world begin to take away the glory of God in your life. Do, do they not? You ever been around people? It just seems like you're better for having been around them. That it's almost like the glory of God just rests upon them. That their countenance is uplifting. Because, and, and, and let me just tell you this, they don't get that on their own. They get that by staying in the presence of the Master. By reading His Word. Letting His Word read them and staying steadfast at it. And there's just something different about folks that spend time with Him. The world needs you. And when I say it needs you, it needs you to be the catalyst by which it sees the glory of God. It needs you to be the, the, the evidence of the glory of God. As a matter of fact, let me read one verse and then we'll step a little further. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our waving or flying the banner of His glory is displayed first and foremost through Christian unity. Did you know that? I mean, He prays multiple times Two specific verses in John 17, 11 and 22. He says, Father, that they would be one just as we are one. Did you know that that's what God wants to do in us? So many people wonder. It's like, well, I don't know if the church, we ought to be assembling together. Uh, you know, I, we can do this at home. It's hard to do unity when it's only you, isn't it? The very proof that God exists in the lives of people that He has professed to have changed is the fact that every one of us has our own biases, but yet we come together bound by one thing, His Word. That's why churches so often have gotten reputations of disunity and it puts a mark, it seems, on the cause of Christ. Everybody has their biases to what they think. And I could go through the list, but when you look back at the list with all honesty, it is so immature, is it not? You've heard so often that this is not about you. It's not about me. And truthfully, it's not. It's not about your ideologies of what you think the Sunday school classroom needs to look like. It's not about what you think that the air should be set on. Have you ever done anything for the glory of God that was discomforting to you? If you hadn't, you ought to try it every once in a while. I've spent extra money so that God might receive glory. I've let other people do certain things, and I'm learning how to do this so that God might receive glory out of it. Have you ever discomforted yourself? You know, getting on an airplane and going on a mission trip wasn't exactly my plan. And I fought it. I promise you, I fought it. My wife fought with me our entire marriage. 
about flying. She loves to fly. Absolutely, 100%. Nope. My first, plan, my first trip up into the air was in a helicopter. That wasn't my choice either. I'll never forget, some of y'all remember Ronnie Hawkins, Harris Funeral Home. Ronnie and I got to be fairly decent friends. I'd stop in there every once in a while and say hey, and we'd talk just a little bit. He almost got me up into the clouds. He said, I've got a little plane. He said, I heard you was fearful of flying. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, well, I'll take care of you. So over the course of many months, I said, you know, let's talk a little more about this. And so I almost got serious about going up until he told me, he said, now we got to wait till I get the plane back together. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. It bothers me that the plane's parked. That's number one. He said, well, now, he said, but, but understand, now we have to check it so we make sure everything's right. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm maintenance. I, that's, my, that's my world is fixing things and making things. And I'm like, okay, I, I get that part I understand. But you said until you get the plane back together. He said, that's right. He said, I'd do it myself. I said, well, you have lost yourself a passenger. You will not be. But then I got into a situation In Mountain City, Tennessee, Frank Stanley, a dear pastor friend of mine, knew just how dreadful it was for me to think about flying. Dear friend of ours, gone on to be with the Lord now, Bill Eisenhower, had this beautiful mountain home, and his next-door neighbor flew, flew land developers. That was what he did for a living. He had a, a, a helicopter, a helipad, and everything sitting there. And we were supposed to go to Mr. Bill's house because Mr. Bill had a special treat for us. Me, Frank, and another pastor that was preaching revival, I had just rode up there to uh, be just go to revival with him one night. Going to go see Mr. Bill. Awesome, man. I love Mr. Bill. Sweetest old guy. Uh, just work clothes all the time. Hate to know how much money the dude had, but he never showed it. Drove old pickup truck, had old clothes on, and owned a, a, a grading and paving companies and stuff. Did work all down in Charlotte and just, just everywhere. But anyhow... So we're out there talking. Mr. Bill said, said, boy, I'm excited for you today. I said, man, I am too. I don't know what, what y'all got, but I'm excited. Next thing I know, dude walks out there and he unplugs the cord to the helicopter and all of a sudden it says, choo, 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 and it's doing that. He walks over to us. I said, man, that's cool. You're going to fly today. I said, I love watching these things take off. Well, y'all going with us, right? Mr. Bill said, Frank told me how much you love to fly, so I chartered you a flight today. <laughs> if you could pinch blood out of somebody, you could have pinched blood. I, he'd have bled, because I had Frank by the arm, and I said, when we get back, you're going to die. <laughs> I want you to hear my heart. Mr. Bill did, had no clue. He thought he was doing something good. And he may have been in the providence of God getting me ready to go to Guatemala, but here's what I want you to understand. That was such an inconvenience in my life that day, but I knew if I would have said no, that man would have stood there and cried. He had the biggest heart, most tender human being I've ever met that God has saved. Sometimes you just inconvenience yourself for your brothers and sisters. 
When you do, see, you'll look so contrary to the world. They're out there fighting in groups against groups against groups, saying that their group has the right idea. And unless you bow down to their group, you know, and we just keep going on. And here, and they fight within themselves, and here we are. And God takes this person out of this particular environment, and that person out of that environment, this one from this culture, and that from one from that culture. And He gives them one thing that they can unify up under. And He makes the church, and the world can't understand the unity of the church. What the world needs to see is the unity of the church, though. We need to do exactly what God has called us to do, and that is to display it by Christian testimony. I'm not going to belate this one. I'm just going to just breeze across it because I think we've already got it taken care of. But don't miss the fact that the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. That's why we live in unity. Is that we display it through Christian unity and through our testimony. The testimony goes a little further than just the unity of a group, it is your own personal testimony. And let me just share this with you. If you don't have a testimony that you can share, you might want to check up. Because what God does is so radically different than anything else that the world could possibly do. Anybody can be a church member. Anybody can be, I say anybody, in most cases, anybody can be a Sunday school teacher. And sing and do all these things. But is, is there a testimony that your heart has been changed? That your desires are no longer what leads you, but you are led by the Spirit of the living God Led in all grace and in all truth. Is that your testimony? You see, because here's one way to, I believe, to distinguish the difference. And I just throw this out as a plug as I get ready to transition to my last thought. This seems to be the way that the world lives. All that's wrong in the world seems to be because of what others have done to us. The environment around us, the circumstances in our lives, it is nothing to do with what is what's in us, only what's happened to us. Is that not what we see today? That, that, that's, that's what people seem to, to say. That I, I'm held back because of what happened to me, or because of the circumstances that happened to me, or they really don't like when somebody else hurts another person. So they would agree with you that that's sin. But what if you never actually hurt another human being? Can you still sin? That's the question. And the answer is yes. Against you and you only have I sinned, the Scriptures say. Now, I know we can hurt other people, but here's my point. You and I carry the testimony that you and I were depraved. 
and that we realized by the grace of Almighty God when He opened our eyes that you and I have offended, affronted Almighty God and that every day of our lives that we make a cho choice to, to, to entertain sin, that we also we go against God. And it is by God's grace that He chose to love us. As a matter of fact, let me read a verse of Scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 2. As a matter of fact, I want to read verses 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Listen, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Don't miss this, though. So that in the ages to come, did you know that, yes, the glory that was given to us should be displayed by us now, and we are responsible, I believe, for staying in the presence of God, loving each other, doing those two special things that God gave to us to love God and love others. We are to do that so that they would see the unity and the testimony of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But did you know, and this is what I've been waiting to preach for three weeks, that the glory granted to us will be displayed before us one day? We are reflecting the glory of God now. And that's His design. But one day, it won't need to be reflected. As a matter of fact, let me read just a couple verses to you. Go back to John 17. Uh, listen to verses 24. I'll tell you what, for time's sake, just, let's just take 24 right this minute. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. I believe that in our lives here on this earth, you and I are to wave what I would call waving old glory. That we are to uphold the banner of truth. God's stirring in my heart a need to do this in a greater way than I've ever done it before. But did you know that one day, and this is what keeps us, I think, stirred, looking ahead, that one day it's going to be displayed before us. Listen to the prayer again of Jesus. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Let me read a couple of verses to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Revelation 21, 3 through 7 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. 
There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. C.S. Lewis, and I've quoted him many times before with this very quote from Mere Christianity, said, If I find within myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And in that world, did you realize that the glory of God is going to be displayed in an environment that is free from sin? Free from sin. I can't even imagine it. I can't hardly fathom what that would be like. Think back once again to Isaiah chapter 6, where they seen the glory of God. He seen the glory of God there. The post of the door was shaken. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He said, An angel came, and seraphim come, and took the tongs, and went to the altar, and took a coal, and went and touched his mouth with it, and said, You're clean. The next thing Isaiah wants to do is serve the Lord. I have, I believe, not perfectly, but I've, I've, I've served the Lord, and I know there are many people out here that you have probably served the Lord. But to serve Him in the beauty of holiness, I love to think on the things of God, but I struggle because my mind tries to think on other things. That's because of sin. I love to serve Him, but my heart and thoughts try to sometimes go other places. And I know you don't struggle with that. I have people that I minister to. Some of them don't really like God right now because of the hurt and the pain that are in, that's in their life. And it's not that they're professing that they don't believe that Christ died. They're just at a place in their life right now that they can't understand why they would go through the things that they've gone through. And I've watched other people go through stuff. Cancer. Sick of watching people die of cancer. It's almost an exact pattern every time. See them wither away because of sin. Not necessarily because of any particular sin that one person may have committed, but it could possibly, it's, it's definitely because of the fact that this world is broken. Misunderstandings. Because grief is anything I hate more than misunderstandings through messages. Let me give you some advice. How about stop texting and messaging so much and just go talk to people? 
heartaches and heartbreaks over something so simple as the fact that somebody can't see your face. Call them so they can hear the inflection in your voice. Do you know that God created us this way? And God help, don't get me started on the fact that forever and ever and ever on this earth until Jesus comes back, I'm not hiding behind a mask. I understand it. Don't get me wrong. You do what you got to do. But little kids in school, they can't even communicate with one another. They're not learning social skills. Why? Because God created us to be communicators, not just with our words that come out of our mouths, but with the very look on our face. The Bible even speaks often of the countenance of somebody's face. Why is your countenance fallen? Why are you so sad today? Why? What's caused you to be so joyful? One day there's going to be an environment where there won't be no mask. There won't be no more cancer. There won't be no more misunderstandings. There won't be no more hurt and pain. All those former things have passed away. Because one day, that glory is going to be displayed in an unveiled form. You and I can't handle that. Not right now. As a matter of fact, when I read from a New Testament excerpt out of the account of Moses, Moses couldn't handle all of it neither. God showed himself to Moses. He hid him in the cleft of the rock and he put his hand over top of him, covered him. And as he walked by, as he was leaving, he took his hand away. And I don't even know that he saw all of God's backside, but he definitely didn't catch all of the, any of the front. But that God there gave him an overcharge, if you will. That's why they wanted to build houses on top of the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus Christ let on, what was on the inside come to the outside. And they said, man, let's just nail it down right here. Why? Because this is good. He said, no, y'all got to go back down. It ain't time for all that yet. But there's coming a time. That's why he said in John 14 that he goes to prepare a place for us. He's going to come again and receive us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also. I want to finish with just this thought because it's one of the best thoughts I have ever had. Uh, not that I had it, but that I've ever been experienced. It was in, had to have been around 2007, Temple Baptist Church. In Tennessee. Can't remember exactly what town, but we were just north of Covington, Georgia. A.C. Cooper. Big, tall, independent Baptist preacher. You blind hog will find an acre every once in a while. Can I get a witness? He was preaching out of Leviticus 23 to start with about the Feast of Booths. And man, I'm telling you, he went into the whole detail of them having that feast and how they were to live outside in these 
thrown together shanties, I'd call it. They'd grab different trees and limbs and stuff, and they'd put together these huts, and they lived out of their homes in them. Supposedly, Hebrew tradition would be that they would make them not so tight that they couldn't see out of them, but that they could lay there and look up at the stars and remind themselves of the Creator of everything as they were falling asleep. But two of the trees that they used there were palm trees and willow trees. And we know that palm trees are significant when it comes to praise. We, we celebrate Palm Sunday coming into Easter, uh, you know, and they wave the palm branches as Jesus come in crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But palms are very often used for celebration, for joyous occasions. Willow trees are indicative of hard times. They hung their harps on the willows down by the brook. No, when they were in captivity in Babylon, they didn't even have a song in their heart. They were so sorrowful. We even call them, come on church, weeping willows. He said, as we go through this life, we need to be reminded that there are going to be days when we're going to have rejoicing. The birth of a baby, marriage of our children, and just on and on there'll be times when we'll be waving the palm branches. Then there'll come times when we'll have willow days. And in those willow days, we'll have sadness, we'll cry, and that's here on this earth, right? We'll have those days. And so as we go through the days on this earth, we wave willow branches one day and we'll wave palm branches. It's almost like we wave them and we wave them. Then he went over to Revelation 7, and he read verses 7 through 9. I want to read 9 through 17. And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, no one could number, from every tribe and nation, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, Brother Cooper said, you'll go through life on this earth waving a willow branch one day and a palm branch the next day. He said, but blessed be unto God, there's coming a day, the Bible says, when they will have palm 
branches, plural, in their hands, plural. He says, as I enter into that place, I'll lay that willow branch down. I'll pick me up another palm branch. And forever and ever and ever, he says, I will wave the glory of God for his namesake. And I'm telling you folks right now, it's hard here. It's going to get harder. And if you jump into the fight, it might get just even a little harder. And I encourage you to jump in. This world needs you to jump in with truth. And you got to wave old glory. The wisdom that you have because of this book is eternal. David said, don't let them despise you because... I mean, Paul said, don't let them despise you because of your youth talking to young Timothy. How could he do that? Because his wisdom was eternal. It came from the Lord. And then one day, my brothers and my sisters, guess what? We're going to see the glory of God face to face. And we shall be like Him. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life. Uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me, that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.